There's plenty of evidence suggesting our world is broken. There's an endless supply of stories circulating about how society is fragmented and the environment is being destroyed. Tuning into these narratives can deliver a sense of despair, but just beyond that is a request for our participation in the holistic, ecological well-being of our planet. Nature reminds us that we are not the problem, but rather that challenges arise when we shy away from our humanness. The invitation is to engage more fully with the Earth, our ecosystem, our communities, our families, and our true selves. This podcast is about rewiring our minds and recalibrating our vision to see the possibility in what's alive at this moment. It's about writing a new story that is neither ignorant of the upheaval happening in these times nor inherently fatalistic. It's about acknowledging the fact that we are living in a landscape of great evolution and about creating spaces that support us in exploring this uncharted territory without fear. The perspective we share challenges us to view the world as unbroken. It requires us to be fully present and uphold our values as we give reverence to the innate wholeness of nature. It also guides us to focus on the ways our own empowerment is tightly woven with our capacity for healthy decision-making and our willingness to take conscious actions as human beings. The conversations we have here are raw, heartfelt, and sometimes controversial. May they provoke you into remembering the animal god within. We are Davide Zimolo and Stella Roback, and we welcome you to The Wandering Below, Messages of Healing for an Unbroken World. Welcome, everybody, to the sixth episode of Season 2 of The Wandering Below. These are your hosts, Davide and Stella. Today, um, we're going to talk about climate change. Um, we're going to look into some definitions uh, of um, words and concepts that float around and everyone talks about. Uh, while analyzing or looking at the current crisis, the current situation that we're in as humans in this planet and as we are heading toward, um, you know, the next few, the future decades and future years where, you know, we'll have to change the way we live on this planet in order to keep surviving and keep inhabiting this planet we've had conversations around medicine about social structure about decision making about how to be more connected to nature and to ourselves and today we wanted to um, look at uh, the story of climate change and how it's impacting uh, our lives and what we can do and what we can do as um, species and as communities, as individuals to uh, better tackle this uh, ecological crisis. Yeah, and in all of this, we're coming back to our main theme, which is that let's look at the world as being unbroken or else we'll be defeated by it, right? So there are a lot of moving parts to what we call climate change and we're going to talk through some of those today. And we've talked through 
like you said, medicine, social structures, healing paradigms, decision-making, and all of that is to support your own empowerment, to make you realize that you are empowered in your life as, as much as you allow yourself to be, and that the world doesn't need saving, that the way we relate to it might need to shift. And so just thinking about that, I think, I mean, for me, like I wanted to have this conversation. I requested that we have this conversation because I have a lot of fear around discussions about climate change or global warming or however people tend to talk about it. It it brings up a lot of fear and fear is demobilizing. There's nothing I can do when I'm terrified. So let's talk about it in a good way, in a real way, and focus on the fact that there are more than just facts and statistics. There's a story to tell here. And when we know the story in and out and we relate it to ourselves, we again feel that affirmation of I am empowered in this and I can make decisions in how I relate to my world. Well said. It's the point you made or the way that you describe this is very much at the core of everything that we do. And today, um, tackling this enormous issue, um, I would like to start from the basics and actually find what's the main narrative and what is just the smallest concepts and actually understand what it means. Because, I mean, I'm afraid that we lose the small pieces by, you know, listening to the news or engaging in conversations about these topics. And so basically, um, global warming, what the definition of it is, Basically, the long-term heating of Earth's surface, which happened basically since it's happening since the um, pre-industrial period. And it is caused by human activities, primarily fossil fuel burning, uh, which increases uh, the greenhouse gas levels in the atmosphere of the Earth. What it means is that since we've been uh, as a uh, humans, as humans have been doing things like uh, since the industrial revolution, we've been burning coal and oil, and we have been burning things that caused the release of greenhouse gases on the earth, and that is causing the constant warming of the earth surface that's it yeah makes it, sense um it has increased roughly uh by two degrees fahrenheit around one degree celsius um and it's an increase in global average surface temperature which means that it's the average of all the temperatures taken recorded across the globe so you know we know that there's a difference between 
weather and climate being the weather of you know the weather pattern of what's happening if it's raining if it's sunny and the climate is the more general um pattern that we can we can see um in different areas of the world so as you know we've uh, recorded the you know the point is you know it's cold in some places on the earth and it's hot in other places and that changes based on season and all different factors but the average is increasing it's getting warmer so this two degrees fahrenheit one degree celsius that's the global average increase in the last 150 years pretty much yeah okay so not every year but obviously since so over 150 years let's say yeah there's been a two degree fahrenheit increase and that might seem small but it is enough to cause you know a lot of changes you know like the extra heat that is trapped in the atmosphere is driving you know a lot of uh, regional and seasonal temperature extremes there's you know ice melting uh water increasing there's more uh you know heavy rainfall and the habitat changes for different uh, animals and plants um you know which brings me to the definition of climate change you know years ago the main topic was global warming now we barely hear uh scientists or people talking about global warming and the main thing now we hear is climate change and i mean we'll argue later that that is probably has to change and it will change eventually like it will be you know that talk about climate change will there's probably a better term to be used to describe all these phenomenons that are happening around the world but to stay to climate change is basically the long-term change in the average weather patterns that have come to define earth's local regional and global climates and these changes have a broad range of observed effects that are synonymous with the term so basically a lot of things as i said you know the climate change signifies there's more rain in times in places where there wasn't as much rain or there's more extreme weather patterns in certain areas or there's desertification in areas that once were very lush that is all uh falls under the term climate change so why the shift from using the terminology around global warming or focusing on temperature and then into focusing on generalized climate change Mm. i don't know what is the actual social like the reasons why that changed um i guess the climate change like the word climate change is more impactful because we i don't know is that we don't necessarily th- it, it they define two different things like global warming is like okay it's getting a little warmer like if you say to someone oh it's the world's gonna is gonna get 
one degree warmer, it's not, you know, people are not as uh, moved by that compared to, okay, climate, the climate is changing, meaning that it's, there's going to be uh, less rain where you live because of this global warming. Does right. it make so, sense? Yeah, I think so. Global warming, you don't necessarily know the impact of it. You don't understand the impact of it just by its definition. But if you think about climate change, I mean, I know a lot of people who would be happy that it's going to be one degree warmer right. on average. But if you talk about your area is going to flood in ways that it never has before, or you're, you're going to get no rain when you used to, or... This place is going to be very hot and it used to be very cold or, or even vice versa, right? The, the idea is it's almost climate chaos, right? It's, it's climate right. change. It's unpredicted change, really, because we can't necessarily track it in the way that we can track an increase in temperature. It's just one metric. Right. It's just getting warmer. Right. Yes. And, I mean, it would be interesting to go and look at... Um, why media or scientists have started adopting this new term i mean yeah i mean we are both born in the 90s and you know remember in school when everyone was talking about the ozone the hole in the ozone layer mm-hmm. and it and now we don't hear like no one's talking about that anymore yeah. There's like the narrative is constantly changing and but the constant is that we are hurting the earth as a society one way or another. That's the the typical narrative, is right. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, or I mean, yes. And um I mean, I remember uh when we were in school, the Kyoto agreement and now the most recent one is the Paris Agreement. So there, all uh, there has been governmental um, structures or uh, deals or agreements to you know or occasions where countries around the world got together and they try to come up with solutions to prevent the global atmospheric temperature from rising. So the specific, the Paris Agreement, the primary target of this agreement is that we cannot let the um, the temperature rise more than two degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels. So, you know, we said that now it is already raised one or 1.5 degrees. In this agreement, where a lot of countries from around the world got together and they're like, okay, we need to stop this. We need to do something to stop this. Um, and there's been a lot of criticism around this. There's um, about this um, agreement, but also, you know, it, 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 it's something that has been done to prevent this atmospheric temperature from rising. The main focus of that is uh, the talk around that agreement is to reduce greenhouse gases. So we need to, as society, as countries, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. 
Like that is the main focus. But like what are greenhouse gases and like what do they do? Right, because I mean, it's everyone talks about it, and it's probably obvious to most people. But I think it's important to clarify that. I don't know that it's obvious. I mean, like I don't necessarily know what it means, and I have conversations about these topics and a degree in biology, and I never heard of the Kyoto Agreement, let alone the Paris Agreement. And maybe that's me being blind to the news or whatever it is. But like, let's talk about it because. People don't know. Yeah, so basically the greenhouse gases are gases that trap heat in the atmosphere. Um, and they are naturally occurring, most of them. Like, I'm going to talk about the two main ones, which are carbon dioxide and methane. Uh, which are carbon dioxide and methane. They are naturally occurring in the atmosphere. They naturally trap heat that is released from the Earth's surface and basically um, push it back. Like they just trap it and release it. And they re- they release some of it back to the surface of the Earth. And as we uh burn no, i mean let's say as we release more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere the natural composition of the atmosphere changes so that there is more of these greenhouse gases which means that there's more capacity for them to trap the heat in the atmosphere release it back to the earth making it warmer making the surface of the earth warmer the main one is carbon dioxide, CO2, which, I mean, we release it by breathing. Like, it's part of na- nature. Like, mm-hmm. it is, like, life on this on Earth wouldn't be possible without it. But as the main, now, what, what, what have we done since um, the Industrial Revolution? We've taken fossil fuels coal, oil, natural gas, mainly, which are basically reserves of carbon, you know, decomposed trees or, you know, different organic material that has been stocked within the earth. Does it make sense? And we have taken it out from the earth and start burning it, burning it. Right, so that carbon that was stocked is now burnt, let's say, and released into the atmosphere. Released in the form of heat. So carbon is released from the burning, but there's also heat released from the burning. Well, but that's not the problem. The problem is not the heat that causes the global warming, is the CO2. It's we basically like we burn it. But like what's causing the heat, the uh, warming up of the atmosphere is that the CO2 that is released from the combustion of these materials, from the burning of these materials, the carbon that is stocked in there gets released as a CO2. So there's a C, there's a molecule of carbon that is now in the atmosphere. And that is a greenhouse gas, which instead of being coal stocked 
underground is now floating in, in the atmosphere. And that causes global that, that causes the increase in temperature over time. And another one, another um, uh, greenhouse gas is uh, methane, um, which is the main. Um, this CH four is the molecule. So like, there's carbon in there too, right? So there's it is emitted through production and transport of fossil fuels, agricultural practices and decay of organic material in landfills. So this is where, um, you know, the criticism of animal agriculture comes in, where, you know, it's a natural, you know, cows and pigs, they release methane from their natural state of being, and that causes... Uh, and also from like having uh, big masses of uh, there's a type of fermentation happening. I can't remember the exact um, term, but basically, if we put all our food in the trash or all the all the food that we're putting in the trash, instead of composting it, we send it to the landfill. There's uh, that landfill will be there won't be it basically won't be composted. It will just rot and it will release methane in the atmosphere so if we if you think about it like a big city that does that with giant landfills it creates methane released well it doesn't create it but like it produces methane that goes in the atmosphere and now we have more um even more greenhouse gases that we wouldn't have or that we didn't have before industrial revolution but i think this it would be more as increasing population in cities Right, because if carbon dioxide is caused by actual industries and travel and us burning um, fossil fuels, methane is also linked to the production and transport of fossil fuels, but also by having uh, developed agricultural practices the industrial agricultural practices that lead to the release of methane in the atmosphere to feed big cities where there is no, um, you know, cycle, like circular economy or anything like that. I mean, that's... uh, Or, you know, if we have 8 million people living in the city, we reduce our ability to compost our food that food will end in the landfill there will be a release in methane so it's as a consequence of industrial revolution there's more people in the cities and there's as a consequence more methane production anyway these two i wanted to talk a little bit about these two because these are the greenhouse the greenhouse gases the two things that we talk about or we refer to mostly when we talk about greenhouse gases and these greenhouse gases are the main responsible for temperature increase and that's not again it's not that they are producing heat it's that they trap heat and sort of reflect it back toward earth's surface right yes there's now more co2 in the atmosphere compared to how much there was before industrial revolution so my understanding of this 
so tell me if this is right or not, but there's carbon dioxide and methane. They're gases in the atmosphere. They would be there either way, right? I mean, if there are cows on Earth, there's going to be methane. If there are humans breathing, there's going to be carbon dioxide. I mean, you can tear down the cities and and cut back. I mean, last week we talked about anarcho-primitivism, and it's just like if we could wind it back and just not rely on technology, not live these these fast-paced urban lifestyles, maybe there wouldn't be as many greenhouse gases. And that that's probably true, but what's the what's the truth of how heat is released? It would be that there's still these gases in the atmosphere. These gases make up part of the atmosphere, right? right. But if there are too many of them, they sort of act as as blockers for heat to escape, but but by nature heat will be released from Earth's surface. These gases will be existing in earth's atmosphere Mm -hmm. it's just that normally the the heat would be able to kind of sneak through because there wouldn't be as much of a barrier and is it correct that that heat is actually supposed to kind of go out into space and that's how it's released versus if there are too many greenhouse gases holding and reflecting back the heat that's how the atmosphere gets hotter yeah, and that's yeah, and that, that's the next thing that I wanted to talk about was carbon sequestration, which is the process of bringing the CO two back on the Earth, because as it's natural to release CO two in the atmosphere, so is the process of bringing the CO two back on the Earth. It's part of a cycle that balance, that equilibrium that we always talk about, speaking of health or speaking of nature, that is here, that we are talking about this, but we're talking about an equilibrium that has been impacted by human activity, which has taken all the sealed, all the carbon that was stored on the earth and putting it in the atmosphere through burning fossil fuels at a faster rate that he would naturally do. And that is what is, you know, that's where the thing is. So there, now there's a new equilibrium that is kind of, uh, you know, there's a, a new equilibrium that is detrimental to humans because if there's, you know, the cli- climate change and there's, it's less desirable place for humans to live. And that's, you know, another topic, which is that, you know, all these... Topics and discussions are about human survival. They're not saving the earth. The earth will find an equilibrium whether we burn fossil fuels or not. But we, if we want to save ourselves as a species, you know, there has something to be done. Otherwise, maybe the consequences will be too grave, too much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the carbon sequestration. So... That is basically bringing the CO2 back into the into the earth. And who does that better than plants? So there's oceans, forests, grasslands are the main drivers of carbon sequestration. So all the algae in on in, in the ocean, trees, 
grasslands, so grass. They all, all these plants, they take the CO2 and they turn it into organic compounds. And basically that C, that carbon, is taken out from the atmosphere and brought back onto the earth. And, you know, we can, and then, you know, we can burn the tree or over millennia it will turn into a fossil fuel. But that's, that's the concept. Like if, like forests are naturally sequestering that carbon. And it is uh, one method of reducing the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere with the goal of reducing global climate change. You know, you probably, like everyone has heard about, like, you know, plant a tree to save the earth. Why? Because that is, an, like, plants are the most effective way to store that carbon because they naturally, that's their job. They do it. There are also other ways to to sequester that carbon. You know, they could, there are technological ways. Like we as a society, like people are developing technologies to take that excess, let's say, carbon in the atmosphere and putting it back and storing it on the earth. And that's a, a solution that, I mean, we will hear more in the next few years and I'm skeptical about, not because of the actual uh, success, the actual uh, technology itself, but how we use it, right? We already caused a lot of CO2 emissions in the atmosphere and I fear that um, not like using another tech technological solution to um, fix a problem caused by technology will not be as impactful as we want to be to actually make this place, this earth, a better place for you know our the future humans that will live in this on this earth and so this is a very interesting topic like and another term that um a lot of you know there's a lot of talk around these topics carbon neutral um it's basically a company you know they can say okay i'm carbon neutral what does it mean it means that they calculate how much Greenhouse gases they emit through the production of their product, through transportation, exactly delivering and, their products, right? And then they do something to stock carbon, whether it's from planting trees or using recycled things. It's, but a lot of people are saying that that's become a common currency to talk about carbon, like doing math through carbon. So carbon emissions, carbon sequestration, carbon credits. Carbon has become the most discussed 
thing around this around climate change. That's all we talked about. Talk about. And sometimes it gets really off point, I think. For example, building solar farms. So putting down photovoltaic panels and cutting down a forest or putting it over a grassland and then using those photovoltaic panels to um, farm the sun and actually stock, like let's say, not burn fossil fuels. And as a consequence, in the math, be carbon positive because we're not burning fossil fuels because we have the photovoltaic panels. So then we are all good because we're not burning as many um, fossil fuels. But often we forget that trees and plants, they do more than just stock carbon. They are part of ecosystems. They are part of networks of living things that are necessary to mitigate climate change and to keep that equilibrium on this earth. And now uh, I want to mention <laughs> the article um, from a philosopher, uh, from an article by Charles Eisenstein that uh, sparked um, our idea to talk about these topics today, which is called, the article is called How the Environmental Movement Can Find Its Way Again, and we'll put the link in the notes of the episode, and I invite everyone to go and read it. Uh, Charles Eisenstein is a great philosopher. Uh, he wrote a book about climate um, climate change. It's called uh, Climate, A New Story. Go read that as well, but just go and read the article. It's very good. And he argues that we need, like, he argues that carbon, like focusing on carbon is the wrong thing to do. Global warming is real, it's happening, and it's a problem, and it's caused by greenhouse emissions for sure. But there are worse things happening. And we're not talking about those. And the worst things are ecocide, which is a destruction of the natural environment by deliberate or negligent human action, which is what has happened alongside burning fossil fuels and building our society. You know, we have been causing climate change and global warming, but at the same time, we've been destroying ecosystems, polluting waters, cutting down forests. And those things are linked. We cannot tackle climate change without putting our focus 
on ecocide, into polluting water, into water cycles, into plant life, into ecosystems. And he argues that reducing this ecological crisis to the climate crisis and the climate crisis to merely a carbon equation is an error. We need to uh, shift the focus from carbon to water. And I also add to shift our focus from simplicity to complexity, to understand that it's not about carbon emissions. It's about how we interact with nature. And it's not about equations, it's about ecosystems. And this is like the example you mentioned about solar farms. It's like, okay, you can look at it, uh, it from a simplistic view, from a carbon math view, and say it's better to create energy using sunlight than to burn fossil fuels, right? And that's, I mean, sure, I guess we can all agree on that. If you can make it work economically to build a solar farm then sure it's better um but it's glossing over where are you building the solar farm right and that's what you were talking about plants i mean grasslands and forests and oceans and i mean those are are naturally sequestering the carbon from the atmosphere and if you really look at it, they are they are sources of energetic currency. I mean, they are sources of life, right? They are uh, um, key players in the water cycle. Mm-hmm. They are the earth. They are the living earth. And, you know, without forests and grasslands, I mean, you can cover the whole earth in solar panels. And have lots of electricity, but for what? I mean, what's left when you are engaging in ecocide? Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of I think it's easy to look at a field of grass and see that it's not see it as lacking purpose mm. or lacking function, even biologically. You're kind of like, well, I mean, maybe we should just plant trees here i mean planting trees saves the earth right but it's more than just the grass that that lives there and that grows there and even if it's not producing food for you directly you might not realize what it is doing and it is directly linked to to humans because it's supporting other organisms and it's supporting the climate and doing what the climate does Right, so it's supporting the natural movement of water, and it's um, it's regulating the movement of greenhouse gases, you know, and even that is affecting. Of course, that I mean, not even that <laughs> is affecting our well-being as as humans and as a planet. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 
by reducing the problem of climate change and even calling it climate change and finding a solution of it through, you know, technical things of like, okay, we have to be carbon neutral. We need more electric vehicles. We need more things that are in opposition to what we've been doing but still in the plane of technical solutions we are missing the point right we if, until we think of the earth as a living organism and not just as something that we use then this problem will come up over and over again right there are technical solutions that we can apply to specific problems but we must use those technical solutions as part of a more integrated way of looking at the earth as a living organism and as what can we do with what you know what we have right now you know like solar panels yes we should absolutely use the power or the energy of the sun to produce electricity instead of oil but there are ways that are aligned with taking care of ecosystems while doing that like we don't need to the corporations don't need to make a profit or cutting down forests to put giant solar farms where there is life but we should put the solar panels everywhere we can where there's already a building mm -hmm. we can do that there are smart ways to use technical solutions but until we have the true belief and the true love to the earth then we are at risk of using the earth as we have been using it by the extraction of fossil fuels use it for clean source of energy in the name of combating climate change mm -hmm. through building giant dams and diverting rivers and cutting down forests that to me doesn't sound like a good solution it just sounds like government and corporations trying to sound good while keeping the world sustainable meaning we can keep make we can keep being keep doing what we've been doing for longer by now using clean energy instead of fossil fuels so slowing down our extinction as a species yeah in the article you mentioned earlier one thing that really stood out to me is when he says i'm not afraid that we're not being sustainable i'm afraid that we are and that's i mean it's an interesting take on some of our early conversations on this podcast about like what is sustainable like are is anything really sustainable or what are we sustaining and for what 
And it's just being able to continue doing things the way we've been doing things. And for me, it brings up this this theme that's been coming up for me lately around responsibility. And I, I think we've talked about it in the, in the last few episodes about taking responsibility for for your decisions or for, you know, what how you live your life being responsible. It's like, I mean, if you have enough power and let's say generally most people understand in our world right now that if you have a lot of money then you have a privilege to get power easily which would mean that if you're a corporation you probably have some power and it's i mean it's blasphemous that a corporation can say they are are being sustainable or focusing on being carbon neutral or something that makes them look better ecologically when what they're sustaining is their ability to keep doing what they've been doing just for longer. I mean, to whose benefit? And it's interesting to think about, we started season two talking about medicine and physical health, the health of the human body, and we we progress through these episodes in this way intentionally because it was sort of like can you conceive of how you treat your body and if there's another way to and can you imagine that you can treat yourself with love and you can see yourself as a living organism and now we've zoomed all the way out to the earth and can you see the earth as a living organism can you see that it it requires respect and it requires responsibility like any relationship. We've been given a gift to be able to live here. Like we're on the earth at this time. The earth gives water, gives carbon, gives air for free. And we're not paying rent for that. And, and you might complain about a lot of other problems and it might even show up in your physical health. But how you think about your physical health is how you think about your relationship to the earth, is also how you think about your relationship to any other living being. And if we're not thinking about the earth as a living being, just like if we're not thinking of ourselves as dynamic and innately healthy, there's nothing we can do about it except put a band-aid on it. And that's what this whole sustainability movement is, is putting a band-aid on it, using technology to treat a problem that technology caused. It's taking a pill instead of asking why is there a problem in the first place. Right. And even into and even as individuals fighting this greed and this lack of accountability from the major polluters in the world, I see a lot of people focusing on limiting all the bad things like being like let's not let's be vegan so that there are now cows causing causing the problem of meth of methane in the atmosphere but cows are not the problem the way we as a society have used cows for our benefit without a knowledge that they are living beings and they are part of ecosystems 
that is the problem. Yeah. It's not even how you treat cows. That's the problem. It's how you think of them. Like, like you said, it's how we've used cows. I mean, it's, it's not even directly what you're doing. It's, it's how you see it and it's how you you understand if you understand cows as living beings you will understand that they have needs they have biological natural needs that need to be fulfilled and whether you want to eat beef or not those are facts of nature right and so if there are cows i mean they are going to eat grass by nature mm-hmm. whether you're feeding them or not whether you're taking care of them or not and, I mean, let's hope there are cows on Earth for a very long time, not just because people want to eat them, but because they're living beings. They have the gift of being here just as we have the gift of being here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, in our culture, we don't, at least not to my awareness, we're not eating wolves, mm-hmm. right? But nobody says, like, there's no point in wolves existing mm-hmm. because I don't get anything out of them. What if you thought of cows that way? What mm. if you thought of, what if you saw them as wild beings? Mm. I mean, like it's kind of like if you say I'm going to be vegan so that cows don't have to be raised in order to be killed. Okay, I mean, sure, but if you see how they're part of a circular ecology, mm. just as we're part of a circular ecology. I mean, you understand that the cow is not the problem. The way you treat the cow is not the problem. It's the way you see the whole system. Right. And also, please treat the cow with respect because yeah. we're here anyway. You might as well be nice while you're here. Right. And like you know? cows, I mean, we have domestic, like cows are domesticated animals. Like, you know, we are, we as humans have been using them for food. Mm-hmm for so many years and you know like they exist now and people eat cows so you know there's the discussion of anarcho-primitivism like we talked last week it's just like okay we can just abandon all of that and go Mm -hmm. back in the woods and hunt what there is but that's not viable that's not what's going to happen next year but next year we can decide to raise cows in a way that makes sense as you were saying for the ecology of the place of the farm you know we're not going to rewild everything like we have to feed billions of people Mm -hmm. but we can make an effort into stop looking at data or only looking at data to see if the carbon meth, you know, goes in the right direction, but also looking at ecosystem, looking at, okay, we can raise the cows in this farm. We can do it in, we can have agroforestry systems in there. We can plant trees. We can only have the cows outside eating grass. In, in a way that promotes not only stocks carbon on the ground because there's perennial grasses and there's trees there, but there's insects, there's life, there's pollinators, there is 
water cycles, there's more of all those things that are being lost by, let's say, industrial agriculture, where we, you have a lot of cows that are fed corn or like feed in, and they are kept in bare soil. Like there is a way to do it. And as we look at it as, okay, we have to love nature. We, we want to engage with love, with everything. We can engage with farming. We can engage with transportation in ways that make sense. And if we only look at data numbers, we will always lack that subtlety, that complexity of, yes, it's the numbers. We have to make sure that there's less CO2 in the atmosphere, but we also must look at our relationship with nature and with a relationship with each other in order to find solutions to these problems. Another a thing that uh, Eisenstein talks about in the article, it's the term conservation. And looking a little bit at the etymology of conservation. And long-time listeners will know that we have a soft spot for etymology. <laughs> um, anyway... N- a lot of times now that word is used in the sense of save for later, use more slowly, conserve what I have so that I can use it later. So, you know, we can have, there's conservative agriculture one way. I mean, I apologize for always going back to agriculture, but it, it can be applied to anything like but the real meaning of conservation means to serve with, conserver, to serve with, to serve together. So the real conservation is engage with what we are using to serve a higher purpose together. Mm-hmm. It's not about being afraid of using it so that we can have it for later. Yeah. So it's it's kind of this um, all beings working together, all systems overlapping in an efficient way, which includes the Earth's inherent systems, the soil, the water, the sun, you know, the, what we call the climate. And all the organisms on the earth working together. And if you choose to be a vegan because you think that we are harming cows by eating them, I would challenge you to see cows better than that. What if they have the ability to serve a purpose with you? Have you ever thought of it that way? Like, it's not... You use them or you don't use them. What if you see them as co-conspirators in your great journey? And, I mean, of course, if you think it's not fair that they die, well, then you probably think that it's not fair that you die, too. We all have the same story. 
And that's, I mean, conservation. So the etymology of it points to we're all in this together and it's a circle. Hmm. So what do you think? Why do you think conservation, knowing its etymology, was brought into the discussion about climate change at some point? Well, because it's, I mean, that modern use is to not use as much. We need to conserve natural resources in order to be sustainable. So you think it's... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like, I mean, conservative agriculture is let's not burn all the carbon that is in the topsoil by agricultural practices that are less impacting, which is great, but it doesn't change the way we relate to the soil. We're just using techniques and methods with the purpose of hurting things less. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the, you know, that is one narrative is that we humans are doomed not doomed, but like we inherently hurt the earth. Just by being alive, we have a negative impact on the earth. That's the view contained in what we now call conservatism. Well, because we're like, yeah, so we should have a, this smallest carbon footprint possible Mm -hmm. and the smallest impact on ecosystems so that we can so that we can achieve sustainability so we can conserve the resources for our children yeah and then within that containing the burdens or the the unsolved problems for our children as well because somebody's going to need to figure out how do we do this better at a bigger scale because we have a bigger scale now we have a bigger human family on earth than we've ever had and you know it's the same thing as you don't rewild every cow Mm -hmm. because they've been domesticated we have some responsibility toward the domesticated animals right and and sure, maybe in a thousand years, they're, they're wild and roaming free. But we can't say that next week, they all go loose and we see what happens. We have a responsibility to them. And we have a responsibility to the future, if we want a good future, for our families. It's not about conserving energy or conserving resources or sustaining what we have here it's about like how how much responsibility can we take and still be well right with the objective to serve together to see the earth as a living organism to actually change our mindset so that we can be brave and courageous and nourished to change the paradigm change the fear into possibility and we were given this earth 
from our ancestors or from who came before us, which is the people that started the destruction of the ecosystem, but also the trees and also the soil and also every living organism that came before us. And there was some rupture that happened at some point between our human ancestors and our natural, uh, our you know wilder ancestors, and that can get a little spiritual. But bear with me because now we are in this, and we can choose to keep that rupture alive and find technical solutions and find numbers. But I think we need to hide it to heal that rupture, to reconnect with nature so that we can be we ancestors for who comes who will come after us and will and be the examples for who comes after us. And it, we might not have any tangible, measurable, impact today but I think it's important to be courageous and change that paradigm that mindset so that who comes after us will have the tools will have that connection healed and they can then apply all the technological things that we have to actually go in a direction that is nourishing for everybody. Mm-hmm. Nature bless. Yeah. I have one question for you before we close. What does love look like in a relationship with Earth? It means being present. It means relating it means observing it means asking what can i do to serve the forest what can i do to nourish the grass shifting the paradigm it means loving means relating in a humble way and letting go of the domination and exploitation paradigm that we have when we look at nature. What does it look like to you? I mean, I love you and I agree with this. So, I think I have the same answer. I maybe would use different words, but it's the same. Yeah, and it's, you know, climate, I invite all the climate activists out there to go and hug a tree. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you and, said. And, and now, you know, that was, it's interesting in the part where you, did you say it in our discussion in Charles Eisenstein's piece, he talks about inter or talks to someone saying like a climate, in the climate activism world, they started using the word sustainable sustainability to actually show that they actually were, they could speak the world, the word of science in engaging to these protests and conversations and not be solely seen as tree huggers, as someone that loves nature. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, that's where my invitation to go hug a tree comes from. And it's, if we love nature, we're not going to pollute it. We're not going to cut trees when we don't need to. We're not going to destroy the soil. Like if we care about the earth and if we really deeply, not just saying we love the earth and we hug the tree and we feel the tree and show our children that that's the way to do it, then I think we are on the good path, on the right path. Yeah. I think the only other thing I would add to your answer to that question is you said, I think you said to serve the forest is one way that love expresses in an in a relationship with earth. And I would say like bringing it back to the etymology of conservative, not just serving the forest, but serving with the forest, mm-hmm. serving yes. something bigger, like you said earlier. It's I, I see that it's so easy to just like in our conversations about health, it's easy for me to slip into that heroic mindset. Also with conversations about conservation or climate change, sustainability, it's easy to see that that there's a problem and we need to fix it. We need to let's let's glorify the forest because the trees are gods and I, I see that they are. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to see that the trees are gods without holding them higher than you. That you are not necessarily in service to everything else because there's a risk that you get lost in that. And then the system is not whole. You know, the the earth doesn't need humans, but humans are here on earth. So let's do it right. You know, let's do it well and actually relate and not hide ourselves in the shadow of the great tree. The tree is great and so are we. And we get to relate to it and not only serve it, but serve with it. And what happens is then it serves us as well. But if that's our focus, then of course it leads to extraction, like you mentioned earlier. All right. But serving with or conservation, I mean, I think that's that's really in alignment with the wise earth paradigm that we talked about in, in the last few episodes. It's like, I mean, you have to be in relationship with earth in order to understand how to work with it and to build things with it. 
to build yourself, to receive things, to receive what you need and in order to be in order to give things that are yours to give back to the earth, to the forest, to your fellow humans, to the future. I mean, it has to be built together. Yes. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation sparked your interest and your thoughts. And, uh, yeah, talk to you next week. Bye, everyone.